Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Plant Power Dog Podcast. I'm super excited today to welcome one of my dog nutrition heroes, Professor Andrew Knight, and he's a pioneer in the world of vegan nutrition for companion animals and has a really long list of credentials in the field. Um, so actually, I think we'd be here all day if I were to list them all. So Andrew, I'll just run down a few of the highlights. Um, he is professor of animal welfare and ethics at Winchester University in Winchester, England. And he is also the founding director of the University Center for Animal Welfare. He is also an adjunct professor in the School of Environment and Science at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia, a European Board of Veterinary Specialization and Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, veterinary specialist in animal welfare, ethics and law, an American and New Zealand veterinary specialist in animal welfare, and a fellow of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> Andrew has authored numerous publications, academic articles, and books on animal welfare. And he's also delivered hundreds of presentations and social media videos on vegan diets for companion animals and a variety of issues surrounding aspects of human exploitation of animals. So, uh, phew, that was a lot, right? So the bottom line is that <laughs> we're really- It's amazing, we're, amazing how well you gotta do to get a job these days. Yeah, right, to get on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we are super fortunate to have you with us and I really appreciate you being here. And I know everyone listening is going to just get so much out of what you have to say. I know I have. Um, we've known each other via phone and email for several years now and you were Actually, the very first person I spoke with when I was looking into transitioning my uh, canine uh, nutrition practice from being an animal ingredients-based practice to a plant-based practice and was starting my research. And thank God you were the guy I started with because you gave me so many, you know, epiphanies. So with that being said, let's kind of a lot of veterinarians focus on the welfare of companion animals, you know, our dogs, our cats, our horses, but you've taken that so much further to encompass all animals. So how did you get into that area? I've always been interested in uh, vegetarian and vegan diets uh, myself because of the major impacts that they have on planetary biodiversity, species extinctions, um, health and well-being of populations, whether they be humans or uh, potentially companion animals as well, and the welfare of farmed animal species. So there are these major uh, impacts um, that come from our dietary choices. So I've always been interested in that. Um, and as a practicing small animal vet around London for nearly a decade before I went into academia, I was interested in finding out what the evidence was about the health implications of uh, vegan diets for dogs and cats. Um, and at the time, there had been limited studies conducted. Um, so I, I studied all of those and brought them together and made an informational website about this issue. And only in very recent years uh, has a lot of research uh, attention focused on this field. And um, other researchers, myself, have now been doing sort of large-scale studies looking at health outcomes of uh, dogs and cats maintained on these diets and also related aspects such as 
um, how happy uh, they are to eat, eat these diets. We, we study uh, behavior at feeding time uh, and also things like uh, manufacturing processes uh, designed to ensure dietary quality and environmental sustainability as well. So there's been an awful lot of new research coming to this area just in the last couple of years. Right. And you've had a couple of really interesting new studies come out lately. So, you know, talk a little bit more about what you are finding, because I like also you hit on the behaviors at feeding time. And, you know, one of the major things I hear is, oh, you know, it's not, you know, your dog, basically your dog will be happy eating this. Now, I know what I experience with my canine clients is the opposite of that. But what have you found in your research about, you know, the dog's behavioral patterns uh, and, and then also the health outcomes? So you're right about the concern about behavior. A lot of critics will say, well, we can formulate diets to be nutritionally sound for dogs without use of animal products. But surely it's cruel not to allow uh, these animals to be eating meat because they're carnivores. Um, well, first of all, they're not carnivores, they're biologically omnivores. They've co-evolved with humans for 20 to 40,000 years, um, subsisting on scraps from our uh, campfires, uh, particularly uh, starchy cooked root, root vegetables, and also um, scraps from hunting parties and all sorts of uh, leftovers uh, from our ancestors. So they have evolved to do well on a very omnivorous uh, diet. Um, and secondarily, um, When we studied the behavior of really large numbers of these animals at feeding times maintained on meat-based pet food versus vegan pet food, we found that um, in looking at all known indicators of uh, behavioral palatability, so how happy the animals were to eat their different diets, um, we found no significant difference uh, between uh, animals on yeah. vegan dog food and animals on um, meat-based dog food. Once we analyzed it in great statistical detail and looked at uh, all uh, 10 of the uh, indicators of palatability that had ever been mentioned in the scientific literature or we thought from our experiences as veterinarians might be relevant as well. This is by far the largest study that's ever been done like this. We looked at more than 2,300 dogs. Uh, and so we're very confident in the results, which seem to clearly indicate that if you study the behavior of dogs in great detail at feeding time, they seem to be just as happy being fed vegan pet food as, as they are fed meat-based pet food. Yeah, that's been my experience. I mean, my clients tell me that they lick the bowl clean. Well, the clients don't lick the bowl clean. <laughs> the dogs do. Sometimes, actually, the clients do. It's just all, you know, I've, I've actually had clients with gastrointestinal issues tell me that they made themselves the same diet as I formulated for their dog, and they felt a lot better symptomatically, right? Why not? It's just all, you know, great plant foods. But, um, so yeah. you, you touched on something. So behaviorally, you know, we're not seeing these supposed, you know, differences. They're not crying at food time, right? Yeah. Um, seem just, yeah. just as likely to, to race up to their food bowls, to jump and bark, to wolf down their food, to guard their food bowls, to display all the signs that they really like and value uh, their food and just as likely to do that with vegan pet food as they are for meat-based pet food. They don't seem to be suffering at all, quite the contrary, when they're fed these uh, vegan uh, pet foods. 100%, that's what I see. And and health-wise, uh, you know, what's the story there? Yeah, health is really exciting. Uh, what we are seeing is that uh, these animals seem to be not 
having any health disadvantages also to be experiencing certain health benefits actually. Uh, the most recent study published by um, researchers from Guelph at School in Canada found that uh, on average uh, dogs on vegan diets were living one and a half years longer um, and we sometimes think of um, a rule of thumb in veterinary practice that one year of a dog life equates to about seven years of human life so one and a half years of extra lifespan would equate to around about an extra decade of life uh, for us at the end of our, our lifetimes. And imagine, I think, how we would feel if, if ourselves or one of our family members uh, could live for an extra decade, uh, how much that would mean at the end of uh, our lifespans. And on top of that, these dogs are not just living longer, they're actually living better as well because they seem to be suffering less from certain uh, clusters of health disorders. Uh, they seem to be suffering less from itchy and inflamed skin and ears, uh, which are very discomforting to these animals. Uh, gastrointestinal problems and also uh, they're less likely to be overweight obese suffer from mobility disorders as well so uh, I think they're um, probably enjoying a better quality of life as well as living uh, longer so that's that's ideal we want them to um, have a better quantity and quality of, of life and that seems to be what they're getting and it makes sense I think if you consider that we're formulating these diets to supply all the nutrients that are needed through supplementation but without the dietary hazards, which uh, are more common in meat-based pet foods, um, a particular dietary hazard of concern, I think, is animal-sourced allergens. And in dogs, they tend to cause things like itchy and inflamed skin near canals. And lo and behold, we're seeing that dogs on vegan diets have less inflamed skin, less ear canal problems, and so on. So we're seeing benefits associated with the elimination of animal-sourced allergens and also um, the hazard of uh, overnutrition, excessive calories, I think is right. common in commercial meat-based pet foods. And we are seeing that the dogs on the vegan diets seem to suffer less with being overweight. Uh, the same is true of cats, actually, on vegan pet food as well. So less overweight, uh, less mobility disorders and sequelae such as uh, arthritis. So these seem to be the main sorts of benefits that are coming now, when we look at multiple studies, sometimes involving thousands of animals, there seem to be these two distinct clusters of benefits. One seems to be associated with uh, elimination of uh, animal-sourced allergens, and the other one is um, seems to be associated with uh, less overweight, obesity, uh, mobility disorders. I suspect there are simply too many calories in uh, commercial meat-based pet foods, and that for some reason this is less of a problem with the vegan pet foods. Well, that makes total sense, right? And isn't it uh, overweight and obese dogs of something like two and a half uh, fewer years than dogs of ideal weight, which as you were pointing out in your translation of that into human years, that's that's a heck of a lot. And as we know, obesity in dogs and people now leads, you know, dogs are seeing diabetes that they didn't see at younger ages and all sorts of obesity-related diseases. So it sounds like a total win-win. You've got me convinced. Obviously, you had me convinced several years ago. So how do you convince people who just continue to insist that dogs are wolves, they're carnivores, they, you know, their teeth need to rip apart meat? What, what do you say to them? Look, I think you can provide... Um sound reasoning and good evidence from large-scale studies of thousands of animals and 
uh, common sense explanations such as uh, these animals biologically require various nutrients. They don't have any requirements for any particular ingredients. Um, but if they won't listen to all of that, I think there comes a point at which you have to say, um, it's clear that you know, you're not open to uh, really changing your position pretty much regardless of the quality of the reasoning or evidence that is provided to you. So I'm not going to waste my, my limited time on you. I'm going to, to go and, and you know, talk to people who are interested in learning new things and have more open minds. It's, there are some people who simply uh, will not uh, be open to, to new information, new scientific evidence as it becomes available, as it has done very rapidly in this field recently. So, you know, you touched on this a minute ago, and, and, and I think it's worth even discussing it more, the, the background of what dogs truly ate, because, you know, people like, one of the arguments is that a plant-based diet is, you know, unnatural. I would actually argue, based on the research for my book, The Plant-Powered Dog, that a species-appropriate diet is actually a plant-based diet based on, um, you know, dogs following uh, the agricultural farmers in the Neolithic period. And, and what did they eat? They were eating their, you know, wheat and legumes and things like that. So, you know, can you touch a little bit more on the fact that, that it's not unnatural to feed a plant-based diet? I mean, I completely agree with you. Dogs uh, obviously evolved from wolves and uh, the wolf uh, hybrids uh, that had mutations that enabled them to derive nutritional benefit from the um, legumes and the the wheat and also the starchy cooked vegetables uh, which were in their environments uh, around those early campfires as they followed our hunter-gatherer ancestors across the landscape or were um, around early uh, farming settlements. The um, wolf descendants that were able to derive significant nutritional benefit from all those other sources of food did better than the original wolves that did not have those mutations. And um, because they did better, they outcompeted the others, and over time the population changed uh, into the modern domesticated dog, which is no longer just purely carnivorous like the wolf ancestors, but is actually biologically omnivorous, and hence able to derive substantial nutritional benefit from all those plant-based foodstuffs which were in their early environments. So that's, that's simply adaptation of a species to it. The changing environment um, in which it finds itself. Of course, not all wolves changed. It was those um, uh, wolves that were more confident and had friendlier personalities that were more likely to follow our early hunter-gatherer ancestors and and um, come close to our campfires and and then able to to be offered those food scraps. The ones that weren't um, as confident and didn't have as friendly personalities didn't do those things in there. They stayed in the forest and they never changed and they remain wolves of today. But the others eventually uh, changed into dogs and they have a variety of adaptations, physiological adaptations, uh, things like changes in digestive enzymes that enable them to break down uh, starchy uh, food products from plants, um, changes in their teeth, um, making them more suited to an omnivorous uh, lifestyle, um, a variety of adaptations uh, that enable them to derive, as I say, substantial nutritional benefit from a much, much more varied diet, much higher proportion of uh, plant products. Even the original wolves did consume some degree of plant produce, um, and that was primarily in the uh, gastrointestinal contents of prey animals that they would hunt and kill. Uh, but it's, it's never the, the case that 
uh, an animal that we think of as being a, a carnivore that hunts and, and consumes other animals doesn't um, consume any plant material. They they do consume plant material, and that is certainly within the uh, gastro, gastrointestinal tracts of prey animals, uh, if, if nowhere else. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's interesting because... I, people have no problem uh, accepting the behavioral evolution from that wolf to the dog who we love today and who sleeps in our bed and watches TV with us and often walks on a leash or goes to the vet. And these are all, you know, sometimes gets carried around in our purse, which, you know, if they're small enough or in a stroller I've seen. So, you know, that just doesn't seem to be an evolutionary issue that people cling to we can accept that so i find it interesting that people have a hard time um accepting that along with behaviorally adapting to be more like humans or or more friendly with humans that they've adapted um based on our relationships nutritionally as well um you know so i always say that if your dog were still a wolf he'd be eating you, you know, he would be in your bed. Yeah, there's nothing worse than an unfriendly wolf, right? Like it was the ones that were friendly that adapted into into the dog. So um, I, I just find that interesting, you know. And so one of the other things people say is, well, okay, it depends on the breed of the dog. But that's not what I've found actually in my research, um, that it really adaptation-wise has not been different amongst breeds. What have you found? Uh, there is no breed of dog that um, has not evolved to derive substantial benefit from legumes, grains, uh, cooked starchy root vegetables, and the other scraps of uh, early human civilizations. Um, there's no breed of dog that hasn't done that. Uh, if, if, if that were true, it would actually be a wolf. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have been associating with our uh, human ancestors um, and of course they're not dogs they're wolves so no no this is not true um, dogs have been bred for various different purposes um, maybe some that are um, more used as guard dogs as retrieving dogs um, and so on but all of them have been maintained on a diet of scraps from human settlements uh, which comprise the high proportion of plant materials universally across the breeds that is true so we're talking about the benefits of plant-based slash vegan diets. Um, regarding some of the major health dangers on the flip side of that of animal ingredients, you talked about the potential um, allergens. Um, you know, I've heard um, some veterinarians online pull apart commercial uh, vegan diets. And what I found interesting is that in comparison uh, to what they might be able to pull apart in a commercial vegan diet, if you so choose to want to do that, um, what you can actually pull apart in a commercial meat-based diet um, is treacherously, uh, you know, beyond beyond that based on I'm going to have you and, you know, kind of elucidate on this, but things that you've taught me based on the rendering industry. And can you talk a little bit more about why, you know, I formulate fresh food diets. Not everyone for various reasons can or wants to feed their dog a fresh food diet. So we need to have, you know, high quality 
commercial um, foods available. And so if you're comparing a commercial vegan slash plant-based diet with a commercial animal-based diet, what would you say, you know, what would you say about that and some of the hazards that might be in the animal ingredient diet? Yeah. Um, based upon the remarkable consistency we're seeing across um, around about eight or nine studies of dogs now, and a small number in cats as well, it seems that there are certain uh, clear clusters of health benefits associated with nutritionally sound vegan diets. And I think they are related to main dietary hazards within the meat-based uh, diets of animal source allergens and excessive calories. Um, but there are others as well that uh, have always been a concern in the meat-based diets, even before uh, all of this evidence emerged about uh, the health outcomes on nutritionally sound vegan diets recently. And the other concerns are related to things like the quality of the ingredients going into the meat-based diets. Um, it seems that around about half of the ingredients by mass within pet food, uh, meat-based pet food, are byproducts and derivatives. So we're talking about things like uh, meat and bone meal, um, uh, fats and oils, uh, meat-based broths, but all coming from byproducts, coming from parts of the carcass that are not normally consumed by people um, because they're of lower quality, considered to be less edible. Um, there might be from carcasses that are condemned as being unfit for uh, consumption by people in the United States, for example, uh, where those rules apply. So there have always been those concerns about a really sizable proportion of the uh, meat-based ingredients being from poor quality ingredients that wouldn't be consumed by people. And then there are also uh, potential hazards and uh, toxins as well. Uh, we're talking about things like the uh, preservatives used to preserve some of the ingredients, uh, some of which have been banned in Europe because of the adverse health effects associated with them, um, but still allowed to be used in the United States, unfortunately. Um, there are concerns about um, free radicals and trans fatty acids from the reuse of um, uh, fats and oils uh, for deep frying um, produce within uh, fast food restaurants that are then sold on as fat blenders. There have in the past sometimes been concerns about uh, the recycling of um, carcasses of dogs and cats that have been killed because of uh, pet overpopulation into the pet food industry. Um, and it's, it's thought, it was hoped that that um, was a thing of the past, um, but there was a more recent study showing that detectable levels of euthanizing solution were still present in um, a significant proportion of pet food brands in the United States. So, of course, at very low levels, but nevertheless indicating those sorts of links. There have been other studies showing that uh, DNA from animals such as horses that you might not expect has been turning up in pet food as well. So, um, And the list goes on. But there are concerns about these other uh, poor quality and potentially toxic ingredients in meat-based pet foods. Um, and those were the ones that we focused on until recently. But as I say, recently, we now have these um, sizable body of very consistent studies and some of the very large-scale studies pointing to two other even bigger problems, which is the problems caused by the animal's horse allergens and probably excessive calories in meat-based pet food. So that, that's what I'm most concerned about these days because the elimination of those in nutritionally sound vegan pet foods seems, seems to be associated with quite a range of really significant health benefits that can increase our quality of life in in these animals, so I think that's really important. 
Yeah, I remember reading from the Environmental Working Group here in the U.S. as well, too, once that they tested, I forget if it was 10 or 12 pet foods for um, fluoride levels in the bone meals and discovered levels that were greater than those known to cause uh, bone cancer in growing, uh, I believe, growing boys or growing children. So high level, dangerously high levels of um of fluoride that could be carcinogenic as well. So it just seems like the list goes on and on and on um, for potential problems with animal-based foods as opposed to plant-based foods. Um, so that being said, many people like to point out that they feed their dogs organic or pasture-raised meat. And so, you know, and I'm talking about now maybe not people buying commercial foods, but, you know, the raw food feeders, and that that's a very large movement, especially here in the U.S. So what about those people buying, you know, is there such a thing? And and what does, what are the implications if you say, well, I'm buying, you know, organic or pasture-raised meat, my dogs doesn't have these um, potential problems? Well, if uh, it's organic, um, then they're wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to see problems with antibiotic residues, um, which would be something, but it's still going to go through the processing uh, of pet foods involving the high um, temperatures and pressures and chemical treatments and preservatives as well, uh, which bring in some of the other hazards and uh, degradation of uh, nutrients. And we're talking about the more fragile nutrients, so not minerals, but rather things like vitamins and amino acids. Uh, can be damaged and, and can need uh, supplementation after the processing to try to take account for that. But the chemical preservatives are still going to be an issue. Um, the the environmental impacts, I think, are potentially uh, very problematic if you're not using intensively farmed animals, but instead you're using pasture-fed beef. You're just uh, increasing your environmental impacts very substantially by doing that. The study that I'm doing right now is actually quantifying the environmental impacts of meat-based pet food. And it seems that uh, this sector is responsible for a really significant global proportion of all of the impacts of the livestock sector. So we're talking about um, a significant contribution toward um, human-generated greenhouse gases, uh, land use, water use, fossil fuels, pesticides, fertilizers, uh, and also things like the numbers of uh, land animals that are being slaughtered for human consumption each year and, and also for, for pet food consumption. Um, because um, there is a very significant level of um, non-byproduct use within pet food and because pet numbers are growing globally and because diets are increasing and becoming premiumized, uh, that is meat-based uh, pet food, the consumption of livestock animals to produce these diets is increasing worldwide each year. So these factors are really significant. And if you're seeking to eliminate toxins within the diet by use of um, organic or pasture-fed animals, then sure, you might decrease things like antibiotic use, but you can't eliminate some other ones. And you're increasing the environmental impacts because you're no longer producing these animals intensively. So uh, a lot more land and resources and deforestation is being required uh, for them. So there's no getting around it. Um, Meat-based uh, pet foods, unfortunately, are bad for animals. Um, they seem to be less good for our companion animals. They're certainly less good for farmed animals, and they're also uh, bad for the planet as well. 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, and I know that no studies have been done on what I'm about to ask you, to, and, and so you can't make any direct correlations, um, and and I wouldn't or causations. Um, but you know, in the U.S. alone, six million new cases per year are diagnosed uh, in dogs, and I believe that's per the National Cancer Institute or the American Cancers, you know, a, a major uh, national cancer organization. And, you know, not surprisingly, no one seems to be researching a possible connection to canine cancer and these large amounts of meat-based ingredients dogs are eating. But, you know, um, I, I know Dr. Richard Pitcair, too, talks a lot about bioaccumulation of toxins up the food chain in food animals um, and persistent organic pollutants. So even if you're if you're feeding your dog a human grade raw food cow, you still bioaccumulated these toxins up the food chain. Not to mention if you're feeding, you know, and like all of the things you talked about in the animal based pet foods. I mean, do you think that this is an avenue that would be interesting for research to see if a lot of these illnesses, including cancer, could be linked to these diets? Sure, there does seem to be bioaccumulation, and sometimes it's because uh, these compounds, um, these unnaturally occurring compounds, and for example, with fish in the oceans, we're seeing more and more heavy metals and PCBs and other organic pollutants. Um, so these are, are unnatural fish have not uh, evolved with them. They are sometimes uh, lipophilic, so they're attracted to fatty tissues. So they get into the tissues of um, small fish, which are eaten by bigger fish, and and so on. And as, as we go up the food chain, there is this bioaccumulation of toxins. The fish have not uh, co-evolved with these compounds. They haven't developed the mechanisms to excrete them from their bodies, and they're attracted to the fatty tissues, and they just uh, accumulate as um, as fish eat um, other fish that have uh, certain uh, levels of these compounds, and they concentrate going up the food chain. Now, if uh, animals are being exposed, if our cats and dogs are being exposed to low levels of uh, toxins um, in their diets, then that's effectively chronic exposure. They're being exposed at least once a day, if not more than once a day, uh, for the durations of potentially their lifetimes, so very long-term exposure. These um, sorts of exposures may not be sufficient to cause acute reactions, uh, but over the long term, I think there is the potential for uh, tissue changes to occur within the body in response to these foreign compounds. Um, cancer is a process that often is preceded by uh, non-cancerous tissue changes. Um, and it makes sense to me that um, something like that could potentially cause tissue changes that could become cancerous. Uh, we certainly are seeing higher rates of cancer in dogs and cats um, in modern times, and these animals are living longer. Uh, we know that Cancer is sometimes a result, well, it's, it's associated with, with old age, many cancers are, um, but still they don't occur uh, on their own. Something is damaging uh, cells, damaging DNA, uh, damaging tissues, uh, and it makes sense uh, that it, it could be um, long-term exposure to low levels of environmental toxins, which are not uh, otherwise being detected or causing obvious reactions at the time. Right, exactly. It's an avenue that I find very interesting uh, research-wise, 
you know, I, I'm waiting for some of the large meat-based pet food companies to, to investigate that. I think I'll be waiting a long time. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I hesitate to even bring this up to my audience because, you know, I, I, I have enough debates over the, the dog situation and I never have been, uh, a cat nutritionist. I've never focused on cat nutrition, but since it is one of your avenues of expertise in case somebody's listening, um, you know, you discuss this a lot. So for those, for those who are interested, what are your views about, um, you know, these, these plant-based diets for cats and what have you discovered in your research? The same requirements apply to cats as they apply to any species. Biologically, the animals need uh, the nutrients that the species requires. So diets need to be formulated to supply all of those nutrients. Uh, that doesn't mean there's any need for meat, of course. Um, meat-based dog food and meat-based cat food already includes uh, an awful lot of plant material. It's probably the majority ingredient actually within meat-based pet food, as well as uh, minerals, vitamins, and various supplements. Uh, so these are already in meat-based pet food. In vegan pet food, the same ingredients are used, but even more often, uh, even more supplementation to make sure that all the nutrients are there that are needed by cats or dogs. So providing the diet's formulated to supply all of those, and it's sufficiently palatable so that the cats are happy to eat the food, and our study of more than 1,100 cats looking at 15 behavioural indicators of palatability showed that uh, they seem to be just as happy eating the uh, vegan pet food as the meat-based cat food. So providing they're as happy to eat nutritionally sound diets, um, you wouldn't expect any problems to arise. And if you're eliminating uh, toxins that might be prevalent in the meat-based cat food, you should see health outcomes just as good or perhaps better than you would see with meat-based pet food. So what studies have been done? There have been two so far um, that have been published looking at uh, health outcomes in cats, and we have another big one uh, forthcoming, which should be published later this year. Uh, and across all of these studies, it seems that um, the cats on nutritionally sound vegan diets aren't doing any worse and are actually doing better in, in a few respects as well, which is really interesting. Uh, the research is from Guelph uh, Veterinary School, uh, studied um, more than 1,300 cats uh, and published their study in 2021. And that found uh, that the cats on the vegan diets had less gastrointestinal and um, liver problems and uh, less problems with body weight disorders as well. And the most common body weight disorder is being overweight or obese. Uh, as with dogs, it's one of the most common health problems in cats. And it causes all sorts of problems, including probably reduced long longevity as well and reduced quality of life. So it's a really important uh, problem. So the vegan cats were having less um, problems with being overweight or obese compared to cats on meat-based diets. So they're not always doing the same. Sometimes they're actually doing better, uh, it seems, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. So also I think what's interesting is I think anyone who as a dog as part of their life it's pretty obvious when a dog is happy so how do you know when a cat is happy you think it's less obvious they're not you know wagging the tail and barking what how do you how do you measure that they're happiness there are about 15 um signs of uh possibly positive or negative uh palatability whether they like or dislike their food and they might be things like 
whether they lick their lips, lick their nose, uh, that can be different, whether they drop their food, leave food uneaten, rush up to the food bowl and so on. So the first thing we did was we looked at um, how much these behaviours co-varied with one another and based on that we were able to identify some as being positive and some as being negative and for a few of them we, we couldn't tell either way but for most of them we were able to um, tell because they, they varied consistently with each other that they were positive or negative indicators. Secondly, we looked at how those varied across different diets, meat-based diets versus vegan diets. And once we've done that, we were able to draw overall conclusions. And that was that there was no statistically significant difference uh, overall between the meat-based and vegan diets. The uh, cats in each group seemed to enjoy their food and uh, there was no detectable difference uh, based upon very detailed study of the behavior of very large numbers of these cats, more than 1,100 cats in this study. That's very interesting. So what advice, as we wrap up, have you, uh, you know, can you give us for people who want to transition their dogs away from a meat-based diet, um, you know, towards towards a, a, a vegan or, you know, like what I call plant-based diet? What what can you tell them? Just, you know, how do you get yeah. started? Sure. Um I guess there's two things. One is uh, absolutely make sure that you're using uh, a dog food which is nutritionally sound, so nutritionally complete and reasonably balanced. So um, either be purchasing one of the commercial uh, diets, if, if you are um, uh, attempting to formulate a diet at home, it, it can be tricky. I would certainly recommend this, this new book here. I just, just come across. Our dog just seems to have an awful lot of Someone's gone to an awful lot of trouble it seems to be more than 300 pages very weighty yeah uh, so if you're into if you're into you know doing uh, quite a bit of research and calculating calories and and uh, supplementing all sorts of ingredients yourself then that would certainly be the textbook to look at but it is um can be uh challenging and a lot of work so um the easier option is, is usually to purchase one of the nutritionally complete diets available from the manufacturers Trying to find a company that seems to have good standards that's hopefully worked with uh, veterinary nutritionists or other nutritional experts and can provide some information about the steps that's taken to ensure nutritional soundness. If a company won't provide any information, won't answer any questions, that should be a red flag and you should be looking somewhere else. So that's the first thing. Try to ensure the diet's nutritionally sound. Secondly, do the transition gradually. Um, allow the digestive enzymes uh, and the gastrointestinal uh, bacteria a chance to transition uh, gradually onto the new food that will decrease the chance of any adverse gastrointestinal reactions such as diarrhea um, so even if your dog is very enthusiastic and wants to just bulk down whatever you're giving it which some dogs are um, try to resist that and um, make the change gradually over a couple of weeks ideally onto a new diet that will decrease the chance of any adverse reactions occurring associated with any dietary change. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the biggest mistake that I see in like in the online groups and when people come to me, um, they don't necessarily realize that there are different microbiota, different bacteria in the gut that are used to uh, munch on, you know, uh, meat-based products or high fat as then there are that munch on the the uh, carbohydrates and plant-based products so you have to give those um, time to proliferate and and get used to it and if you shock the system sometimes people will say oh I, 
caused diarrhea or my dog got, you know, gas, but oh, so how long? Oh, I just changed him over. Ah, yes. yeah, not, not really such a great idea. So, um, well, you've definitely given me a lot to chew on and hopefully everyone else as well, who's watching this. And I'm sure that, that you have, um, I'm going to put a link. Maybe you can tell us your uh, websites, and then I'm also going to put a link to that under the video. But how can people find more information about you and, and your research? So as the new studies are being published in the series by myself and other researchers, I'm putting them onto my website, which is sustainablepetfood.info. Uh, and if people are interested in any of the studies that I've mentioned today, uh, that's where you can find them. Fabulous. Well, the industry needs you, you know, I mean, I, it, there have been surveys done that I think it's about a third of uh, dog and cat guardians would feed their companion animal a plant-based diet if they were confident that this was nutritionally and health-wise uh, the right thing to do. And thankfully, you're out there showing that it indeed is. So your work, your work was critical to my book. I appreciate it so much. And I can't wait to keep spreading all of your research as well. So, Andrew, thank you for joining us here today from sunny England, I hope. That really is funny. Uh, really. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I look forward to continuing to talk with you in the future. And uh, once again, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.